I turned 43 this past week. And in fact, it's so interesting, um, I was just talking with Makai a bit before you guys saw him get baptized. And I asked him, I said, Makai, how old do you think I am? And he said, he's five. I said, hey, I'm six. He's like, that's not true. I said, well, how old do you think I actually am? And he replied and said, 72. <laughs> Praising God for his grace. <laughs> but you know, as, as I interact with kids, the younger people who are in the room today, and of course our, our own kids, they often ask me, um, what was it like, Dad, when you were growing up? What was it like when you were about my age? In other words, what was it like when you were growing up in the 1900s? <laughs> and I was reminded this past week of a story. And one of my kids again asked me, what was it like when you were about my age? And I was right around the time I was about nine or 10 years old. Growing up, our family had two dogs, okay? One was a German Shepherd, one was a Rottweiler. The German Shepherd's name was Sheila, and the Rottweiler's name was Knuckles. And so we had these two dogs growing up, and, and our house was right here. We had a neighbor's house right here. And then next to that neighbor, there was another house, and they had a dog named Duke. Now, Duke was crazy. And what Duke would do, this dog would dig under these two fences, and he would come into our yard. And almost every single day, he would come into our yard, and he would mess with our dogs. He would eat their food. He would fight with our dogs. He would get, he was so messy and crazy. He would get our dogs all messy and crazy. And every single day, every time this happened, it got to the point where the owner of Duke knew that Duke wasn't anywhere else in the neighborhood, but he was right in our yard. So he would always, the owner would come to our house when Duke was missing from his house, and he'd come knock on the door and he'd say, hey guys, it's Duke here, I'm so sorry, this keeps happening, and he would take him back, and then some, at some point, later on in the week, again, Duke would dig on these two fences, come into our yard, and again, get crazy with our dogs. And I don't know what it was about the time I was getting nine or ten years old, like this made me so angry. It made me so angry that Duke kept coming over there, fighting with their dogs, messing with our dogs. So one day, my parents were not home, and I looked in the backyard, and there was Duke again. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. So I went into the refrigerator, I grabbed two slices of American cheese. And what I did was, I made a trail from the gate that blocked off our backyard, through the rest of the yard, down the driveway, leading into the street. And so I went and I secured our dogs so nothing would happen to them. I secured them, and then I took that cheese and I made a trail from the backyard leading to the other trail of cheese that I made. And Duke followed me, hook, line, and sinker. He ate every single bite of that cheese, walking from the backyard, through the gate, down the driveway, and then into the street. Right at that moment, a truck came down the road and hit Duke. I'm just kidding, that part of the story did not happen. <laughs> but, but, okay, so this is, this is what really happened. So I did make a trail of cheese down the driveway, okay, and Duke did walk down the driveway, and he did walk toward the street. And I thought, okay, look, dogs, what they do, they know where to go, they have that sniffing thing, they're gonna go right back home. So Duke had to go this way to go back home. But instead, Duke decides to go to the left. And he does go down the street. He walks past the park, and then a truck does come down the road. But the truck opens the door. Who was driving that truck? They opened the door. They called Duke into the truck. Duke hops into that truck, 
who's not the owner, and then that truck drove away. Later on that day, again, just like the owner had done so many times, he came to our house. And my mom was home at the time, and the owner came to the door and he said, okay, um, guys, I'm so sorry this keep happening. Is Duke at your house today? And my mom was like, I don't think so. We haven't seen him. And she looked at me and said, Andrew, have you seen Duke today? To which I replied, nope, I'm not seen him. Who's Duke? I had no idea. Church, I'm not kidding. That owner never saw that dog again. I know, it's terrible. You're probably finding me church now. But in that moment, okay, breaking the rules, lying about what I did, and then even doing the things that I wasn't supposed to do, taking things to my own hands, trying to make my own way, thinking my way was better. In that moment, someone ended up getting hurt, and a dog ended up getting dog-napped. Have you ever thought about how, with us, we want to try to make our own way? And how, with us, sometimes, so many times, we think that our way is a better way. And even when we think, okay, maybe this is the right way to go, we still think that, man, if I can just go my own way, do my own thing, that that really is better. Church, even right now, as a follower of Jesus, there's things that I know I'm supposed to do that God has called me to do, but I still feel this tension at times, like thinking, okay, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do this, but maybe, just maybe, my way is better. But is our way really better? Have we ever thought about sometimes our way really just leads to more brokenness in us and even around us? Today we're wrapping up this series that we've been going through with the book of Exodus, looking at the life of Moses and this very journey that God has been leading the people on. He's been trying to show them the way. In fact, he even begins this section as he leads them to Mount Sinai. He leads them here, this place that he would promise that they would actually be. And the Lord begins the section before the Ten Commandments are even given. And he said, look, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Twenty-two times the Lord has said this phrase so far, saying, I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He's been trying to say, look, it is me who rescued you, who saved you, who delivered you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Again, it's a reminder that God is the one who saves. God is the one who ultimately leads us to where we need to go. And sometimes we can think that our way is the best way, but we really need to understand that sometimes like our way actually leads to wrong direction and bad restrictions in our lives. It leads to a place of brokenness. And as we've been looking at this passage, God has led them here to the Ten Commandments. Man, he wanted to show them first and foremost that he is the one that they, they need to follow more than anything or anyone. And as we started looking at the Ten Commandments last week, after the Lord began to show them, look, his way begins with him, we looked at how it points to the Lord first, how it points to God first. And in fact, in the New Testament, Jesus himself would actually look at the Ten Commandments, look at all the laws of God, and he would break it down into two main points. In fact, Jesus was being asked, okay, which one of the commandments are indeed the greatest? And listen to what Jesus himself said in Mark chapter 12, verse 25. Jesus answered, he said, look, the most important, the most important commandment is this. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he said, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Again, Jesus pretty much sums up the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments. And they pretty much break down to love God and love your neighbor. In other words, love God and love the people that he has placed in your proximity. And yet, even though this story has been told so many times from generation to generation, the story continues to matter today. And today, if we look at this theologically and practically and the simplicity of loving God and loving our neighbors, we're going to take a look again at what it means to actually follow the Lord fully in this and place it and implement it into our lives. Again, last week we looked at the first four commandments. And so I thought I'd give this a brief recap of the first four because it leads into the next six. So when we're talking about loving God, we need to remember that loving God means that we honor God with worship and work and resting well. We honor God with worship and work and resting well. Again, God makes it so clear there is only one God to have the right way in life to view life in the right way, it begins with God. And again, I, sh- I shared these with you this last week. These are kind of the Pastor Andrew's summation and also interpretation and application of the first four commandments. So you're going to see these up on the screen. This is review from last week. You just take a picture if you missed it or write it down if you missed it. But here we go. Commandment number one. Look, there is one God, so there is one way. Look, the Lord said you shall have no other gods before me, which literally means no other God beside me, before me, or even against me. Jesus, who is God, even said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Look, there is one God, so there is one way. Commandment number two, there is one God, so we worship only one. Look, he said, don't make any carved images out of anything in heaven or on the earth or under the sea. Which means we don't make any images of God. We don't worship anything made in the likeness of God. And we don't treat anything else as if it were supposed to be the place of God. Is that God has already made lots of images of himself because image of God. In fact, I, I wanted just to try this a little bit further home today. Would you turn to the person sitting next to you? And would you say to them, hey, you sure do look good today? Now turn to the person who was your second choice, and I want you to tell them, hey, I think it's that image of God in you. Look, we're going to spend our time primarily on commandment number six, okay? So commandment, I'm sorry, commandment number five. Commandment number five, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. The Lord says to the people, he says, honor your father, and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Look, to love people, you have to honor your parents. To love people, church, you have to honor your parents. The kids in the room, I'm so glad that you decided to join us today. In fact, I love about four times a year we do these family services where we all get to come together. I know kids in the room, you're probably anxiously waiting for Coastal Kids to return next week. 
But while I have you in here, honor your parents. Listen to them. Obey them. Trust them. Submit to them. Man, thank them for what they do for you. Honor your parents. And then listen to what the Lord says will happen if you actually do this. He, he puts a promise on this. He says that if you honor your parents, honor your father and your mother, it will go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Listen to me, kids. God calls us to honor our parents. And as long as they aren't asking you to do anything that's sinful or abusive in any type of way, we are to honor them and obey them and listen to them and trust them. In fact, I know that uh, most of you are a lot of the kids in this room probably about that elementary age today. And it may be even hard for you to understand this, but you're probably going to live to about 70 or 80 years old-ish. So according to Makai, I'm already at the end of that time. But most of you, you may not be able to understand it yet, but you're probably going to live to be about 70 or 80 years old. And at some point, you're probably going to have kids and a family way before that. But I wanted to ask you kids in the room today, one day, when you have kids of your own, the way that you're treating your parents now, would you want your kids to treat you that way? The way that you're treating your parents today, would you want your kids to treat you that same way one day? Look, God says right now, we need to honor our parents. We need to look at the way that we have been treating them. Again, now I'm, I'm 43 years old, and I have four kids. And again, I've seen so many different phases of parenting so far. And I know I still have a long way to go. We're about to hit some teenage years coming up as well. But I've, I've seen so many different phases in church. Let me just tell you that even right now, I want to honor my parents one of the main things I've been doing to them as I've seen each phase of each one of my children, I've been calling them up and apologizing to them. I've been in the season where I've been calling my mom, telling her I'm so sorry for what I, what I thought that my way was better than your way. I've been calling my dad, apologizing to him and asking his forgiveness when I thought that the rules that he was trying to give me were actually designed to hurt me, but all he was trying to do was help me. I've been even calling my mom up and telling her, especially with some of the, the eating phases we've gone through, I've apologized when I've rejected the food that she's given me because I wanted McDonald's more than what my mom had prepared for me. So I've been calling her up and telling her, I'm so sorry for not eating food that I know you worked so hard to prepare for, except Oprah. That is nasty business. <laughs> It's like someone took some mucus and wrapped it up in some boogers and a green blanket and said, hey, why don't you go ahead and eat this? It is some nasty business. I don't know why my mom fed that to me. But anyway, so I've been telling them that I want to honor them and ask them even for their forgiveness, repenting to my parents for the way I treated them. Come on, students in the room, kids in the room. Are you honoring your parents? Teenagers in the room. Look, you want to be trusted, but are you honoring your parents? Are you listening to them? Are you admitting when you've done something wrong? College students in the room, look, you want to be treated like an adult, but right now your parents are still covering your insurance, still covering a lot of your bills. Are you honoring your parents even in the season? 
And for adult kids in the room, if you're fortunate to even still have your parents alive, are you honoring them? Look, I'm not saying that if your mom tells you you can't stay out by 7 p.m. and you're like 35 years old, you have to listen to that. But man, are you calling them? Are you praying for them? Are you checking in on them? Even right now, are you still honoring your parents? Look, God commands us. He calls us to love these image bearers called our parents. Look, whether you are a biological child, a foster child, or adopted child, God calls us to honor our parents. And all throughout this series, we've been looking at our Old Testament history along with our New Testament reality. And then the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, he takes this commandment and then he reiterates it, but then he also sheds an extra light on it, a charge specifically for parents, specifically for fathers. The Apostle Paul, 1,500 years later, says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, back in the first century Roman culture, fathers had almost absolute authority in their home. So whatever discipline they did in that first century Greek-Roman culture where this was written, fathers had authority to pretty much do whatever they wanted to their kids which at times even included some type of abusive behavior. But Paul's saying here, look, don't be like the rest of the world. Don't provoke your kids to anger. Instead, we are to treat them the same way that Christ would treat them. We are to treat our kids in the same way as our neighbor, we love our neighbor as ourselves, which even includes our kids. Look, I know that sometimes parental relationships can be complicated. Parents are not perfect. In fact, there are some parents who have harmed their kids or even have hurt their kids physically in ways that breaks the heart of God. Maybe even breaks the law. But if anyone has done that, especially in the name of Christ, they are actually taking the name of the Lord in vain, violating what God has said. Look, I am so sorry if that has happened to you. Again, this church wants to help you it wants to help you find healing. It wants to help you find hope again. And then one day, either with your kids or with kids you're going to have one day, we want you to be the type of parent that our Heavenly Father says you are called to be. Parents, we are to raise our kids in a way where they love instruction and discipline from the Lord and even from us where they do not want to harbor resentment against God or against anyone. Now, one more application with this before we move on, okay? One more application to this, especially for my aging adults and aging kids in the room. Look, adult kids in the room, you are to honor your parents by caring for them while they are still here on the earth. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he is denied the faith, and it's even worse, than an unbeliever. Look, it should not be the responsibility of the government to take care of our aging parents. It should be the responsibility of the follower of Jesus to care for them. 
Look, I think we already started to prepare my kids for this. We've been telling them that one day we're going to get older. We're going to try to take a certain way. Which one of them might be willing to care for us? Like when we get into our older age, right now that's the oldest. She seems the most responsible. We'll see how the rest of them come up. But we've already began to prepare them for this. That one day they're probably going to have to take care of us. I've even said to them, look, you remember when I changed your diaper? <laughs> I'm just saying, one day, come on, we are authentic followers of Jesus Christ here, okay? Like, that's reality. Look, we need to prepare for caring for our aging parents. And let me just say, if you are one of those um, gracefully aging parents in the room, don't make it hard for you. Again, the Apostle Paul challenged us that we would not provoke our kids to anger. Church, some of you may remember that just one year ago, I did my grandmother's funeral. She passed away at age 90. And the, the, the five to ten years or so leading up to that became one of the most difficult seasons of her life. As her health was declining, as dementia was setting in, uh, my dad would call me up and he would tell me about all the challenges that he was having caring for her, and how there was this paranoia that would happen anytime he would send people to, to help with her medical challenges, how all the time he had to go to the hospital at these different moments. I remember one time my dad was venting to me with the things that were happening. I said, I just said, Dad, did you guys ever come up with a plan for what her care would look like once she kind of reached this season of life? He said, no. But I saw all the tension that was happening that relationship. I didn't even say to my dad, I said, Dad, okay, okay, Dad, I don't want, I don't want the same thing to happen between us. And I really want to be where you guys tell us right now how you want to be careful when you reach that age and stage of life. We want to be able to help you. And all the siblings, look, we want to work together and be on the same page and honor you even in that season and care for you. And right now, you can still make the decision to do that. Dad, what is your plan? And he said, I don't even think about that right now. Church, he's 70 years old. And all I'm saying is parents in the room, especially if you're getting to that season in life, come up with a plan so that you don't make it hard for your children, but so they can actually honor you in this season. Look, God cares about us honoring our parents. And again, parents, God cares about us not provoking our kids to anger at every age and at every single stage. All right, I promise you the rest of this is going to be really quick, okay? All right, the next commandment, okay, next one. To love people, you honor the life of other people. To love people, you simply honor the life of other people. Look, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 through 14. The Lord says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. And then Jesus even took this and expanded it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Where he says, you have heard it said, in those days of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. When I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell's fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. 
Look, I know most of you give online. Some of you give as the place was passed around in a few moments. And I don't think any pastor in America has ever said this before to you. But some of you gave even today or this past week. But right now there's a relationship that you need to pursue reconciliation in. Look, even before you give, you need to forgive. Look, Jesus says, look, if you have an offering to bring, or there's someone that you need to forgive or pursue reconciliation with, he even says, don't do that. Go pursue reconciliation. And one of the ways that the follower of Jesus actually honors other people is that we are the best forgivers. We are the best people who actually pursue peace. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Paul says, do everything you can, as far as it depends on you, to live in peace with one another. So even right now, today, church, if there's someone that you need to pursue reconciliation with, is there someone that you need to seek forgiveness with? But see, this is also a call that we would be a people that actually honor, honors life and honors these other image bearers that God puts in our proximity. Look, church is one of the reasons why we even partner with CareNet and why we help those women who are at these points of crisis when they're thinking about having an abortion with their unborn child. It's the reason why we give to this organization to provide them with care at that very important point of need. To be able to show them that what's inside of them is a little them. To be able to show them that there is another way. To be able to show them that people actually do care about them and they can help them in those moments of crisis. It's a reason why, because our church, we value life from the womb to the tomb. We believe that every single life matters to God. And so because of that, it should matter to us. Commandment number eight. You love people, you also honor the property of others. Real simple application. Don't steal from anybody. Whether that's an intellectual property or whether that's something actually physical. That we don't steal from anyone. And again, this is one of the reasons why, again, our church partners with something like Free Kind, where we help. But we don't view people as property or possession, but there are people out there that do. So we fight against that with the gospel and with our giving so that people don't view them that way, but instead they can find freedom. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Look, the Lord says, you shall not bear false witness against our neighbors. And see, we need to honor the precision of what we actually say. We need to honor what actually comes out of our mouth. And think about the words that we're actually saying. Look, what comes out of your mouth actually does point to what you believe about God. And it's what you're saying in this season pointing to a greater belief in the Lord and about what he has said about his image bearers. And let me challenge you in this way with this one, church, because one of the ways that we actually do not bear false witness, again, we don't lie, we don't bear false witness, we don't gossip, we don't slander against others, but another way that we can bear false witness is when we don't admit when we're wrong. Look, I know nowadays people will blame others when they mess up, they deflect, they make all sorts of excuses, but part of that is actually bearing false witness where you say, look, it's everybody else, but it's not me. Again, even kids in the room, is there something that you need to confess right now to your parents or maybe your sibling or a teacher at school? Is there something that you need to confess? All of us need to be good confessors 
where we admit when we actually do wrong and we actually pursue reconciliation with others. And then the last one, commandment number 10. Look, we honor the desire that's in us with purity and passion sprinkled with contentment. We honor the desires that are in us with purity and passion sprinkled with contentment. Now, when I first wrote this poem, I wrote sprinkled with contentment. I want you to scratch that out and put saturated with contentment. Look, this last commandment, if we break this one, we break all the other commandments. Because this is talking about our very heart's desire. And one of the main things that the Lord gives us to fight against covetousness is actually pursuing contentment. Listen to what it says here in Exodus 20, verse 17. The Lord says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Dr. Tony Evans says this about this verse. He says, look, the antidote for covetousness is contentment. Contentment begins with trusting that God is good and that he withholds nothing good from those who are living with integrity. When you truly believe God's promise that he will never leave you or abandon you, then you are able to be satisfied with what you have. And then as our worship team goes ahead and makes their way back up to the stage, church, all of this, the series that we've been going through, all of this, this journey that God has had people on, as he's been trying to show them the way, he's been trying to pull Egypt out of them. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. And he begins with this rich theology of him showing them that he's the one that brought redemption, that he is the one that pursues a relationship, that he is the one that draws them to himself. He's presented this rich theology of himself, but then it also turns into this practical living. See, this rich theology leads to this faith-filled, practical living. So as we close out today, I want to give you four ways, four ways that you can actually pursue contentment in your life. And you're going to see all these up on the screen. You're going to take a picture of them. Because one of the ways that we actually pull Egypt out of us is that we actually pursue this mindset of contentment. And the first way we do that is that we reflect on the faithfulness of God often. Again, 22 times he reminded them that he rescued them out of Egypt. We also expect that trials and anxiety are actually going to come and knock on our door. We, don't, we aren't surprised by the trials that come. We're expecting them. In fact, I've heard it said so many times, you're either in a trial, coming out of one, or you're about to go into one. But in every single moment, God knows that when you go through a trial, he is going to be with you. He was faithful before, and he's going to be faithful again. And then we seek the wisdom from God's word and his people. And then we also trust the truth. Look, don't believe the lie, but make a choice for his glory. For the past year, like we've been saying, look, anytime you're faced with a trial or temptation or this season where you don't know what's going on, where you maybe you feel like these patterns of behavior are building into your life, and again, God shows them, look, this is who I am. This is who you're called to be. So even right now, like we ask ourselves the question, look, is there a lie that I'm believing in this season? But then what's the truth? 
What's the truth of God's word? What has he been trying to show me the very direction that I need to go in? What is the truth? And always remember, look, you have a choice. You can choose which direction you need to go because the power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. Church, right theology, rich theology leads to faith-filled living. Right thinking leads to right living. What direction are you going in this season? Father God, again, I thank you, Lord, for your word. And God, I know that, Lord, you gave these 10 commandments, Lord, uh, so many years ago. But Lord, even today, even though the story's already been told, God, it continues today. And this picture of who you are, God, reflects into who we're called to be as your image bearers. And I pray, God, that you would help us right now, Lord, even in this moment, if there's any thinking in our lives that's out of alignment with you, God, help us to see it. And I pray, God, that you would correct it so we can walk in the right way. Lord, sometimes we think our way is indeed the best way, but Lord, yours is. Your way is the best. God, fulfillment of life is found in you. So I pray, God, that you would help us to walk in your truth and to follow you with everything that we are. In Jesus' name, amen.